Hello, and welcome to Rotating Reels, the film review podcast where we alternate between new releases and favorites recommended by the co-hosts. I'm one of your co-hosts, Hank Showalter, and I'm calling in from Seattle, Washington. Joining me today, unfortunately, is only one of our other two usual co-hosts. Today, we have Keegan Tran calling in from Oregon. Keegan? Uh... Should we follow this movie and give our ratings at the top, or how should we do this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Anyway, this week we have a great review for you. We're going to be talking Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. It's a uh, new release from the month of October 2021. Um, I was really excited to see it. I think Keegan was excited to see it going in, so I think we're going to have a lot to talk about having both seen it now. Uh, before we get to the last duel, though, we have a couple of our usual orders of business. So first of all, uh, first of all, the obligatory Patreon shout-out. We have a Patreon. Go to rotatingreels.com. That'll take you to the Patreon. And uh, if you want to hear more of us, we have a Patreon-exclusive series called Rotating Reels After Hours. Um, you can access that uh, if you subscribe at the 5 level or higher. That is uh, our, our only Patreon shout out that we need to do this episode. The other <laughs> order of business is what we've been watching. So if you've been with us for a while, you know, if you haven't, I'll explain it. Uh, each of the hosts gets usually around three minutes to just kind of run through what uh, movies and TV they've been watching or what books they've been reading or video games they've been playing if they care to discuss it. Um, but since we only have two of our usual three co-hosts, we're not going to put a time limit on, on it this go-around. Uh, Keegan and I are just going to both go through as much as we care to go through. So, with that said, we'll talk about what we've been watching, and then we'll get on to our main review of The Last Duel. Keegan, uh, do you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so a couple things. Uh, to get in the Halloween mood, watched quite a few. Um, I, was, I was kind of feeling like Halloween franchises or like goofy... Uh, like. Not goofy, but uh, like OG horror franchises. So I watched Child's Play 2, which I didn't know is like kind of beloved in the Child Play fandom. Uh, it's it's not anywhere near as good as the original, uh, but there is a crazy finale in a toy factory that's just like, it's, it's disgusting. There's a lot of body horror, a lot of gags to do with like production line stuff. But man, all of the stuff that leads up to it is is definitely worth it for that little end sequence. Um I watched Halloween Kills, which is a, a direct sequel to the 2018 version of Halloween, um, which is in and of itself a direct sequel of the original 1970s Halloween, maybe early 80s, late 70s, I think. Um, anyways, uh, Halloween Kills is the, the second in this new trilogy, and I thought it was really fun, man. I, I'm pretty partial to the Halloween series as a whole. I'm not really a big uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th guy. I always kind of like that original John Carpenter movie the best out of those. And uh, Halloween Kills is is pretty goofy, man. It's it's dark in ways that I wasn't expecting it to be. It has some musings on human nature in a movie that I really did not expect to do that. Uh, whether or not it does that tactfully, <laughs> I think I'll leave to viewers. It's it's you know, it's it's a slasher sequel, so I don't think it's it's completely punching at its weight class. Like it's it's not going to blow in your any minds, but it's a lot of fun for what it is, and you can watch it free if you have Paramount Plus. Uh, or, excuse me, if you have Peacock. Um, so if you have Peacock, which you get for free if you already have Xfinity, uh, it's a fun two hours, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Um, and then the only other thing I watched, um, Halloween Kills got me on a little bit of a uh, rabbit hole, and I was exploring the five different uh, linear progressions of the, the Halloween series, so I didn't know that there was all these branching plot lines. 
But one of them is kind of like an alternate version of like, what if Laurie Strode survived and she has this horrible future? But what if Michael was her brother? So I watched Halloween H2O, or 20 Years Later, which is actually a very similar premise to the 2018 version of Halloween Kills, where, you know, Laurie Strode grows up. She's very haunted by the, uh, you know, the, the events that transpired in the original movie. And she moves far away and has a son and all this craziness ensues. It's only 85 minutes, uh, but it's really fun. And I actually think for an early 2000s movie, it could have been a lot worse. Um, and again, I'm a big fan of the, the franchise, so maybe take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But man, I think, you know, even for some of the sequels, like, you know, four, five, six are not great movies, but there's some a lot to be fun to have even in some of the later entries in the Halloween franchise. I don't know, Hank, if you like maybe like the Rob Zombie ones or any of those, but I, it's it's a franchise that I don't think is completely dead. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I can agree with that. I'm not at all a fan of the Child's Play series, so I kind of cringed when you said okay. you watched Child's Play too. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I can enjoy a Halloween movie, and I think that the, the entire franchise has some some high points. Even some of them, the the uh, the movie itself isn't a high point. They have a few good scenes. Um, that said, it's yeah. not actually one of my <clears throat> like top favorite uh, horror movie franchises personally, uh, just because. I'm not a huge kind of slasher guy to begin with, and it kind of watches like a slasher, but a bit less zany than the other big slashers of the era. So it's not really like a, one of my main series. Uh, so my guess is that you actually like it even more than I do. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I know you're a big uh, Nightmare on Elm Street guy, which I, I, I like as well, but I think we kind of share each other's thoughts. Like, it's it's not up there for me, but I can definitely enjoy some of the some of the stuff that goes on. And you, you get crossovers, which I don't get as a Halloween fan. <laughs> yeah, Freddy versus Jason. Love it. Uh, wish I had rewatched this October. Um, <laughs> and that's actually it. That's just those three movies, yeah. Yeah, with that in mind, I guess I'll get into uh, my what I've been watching. I've had a... Uh, pretty heavy watch week it's october so i get to watch a lot of horror and <laughs> horror adjacent stuff um i mean i always get to because i you know control my own tv but october especially <laughs> um so anyway i got to watch uh, quite a bit and this october has been pretty rich in content to watch for a for a horror fan and a fan of all things spooky like me so um starting with some kind of uh, quick things that i've been watching I've been keeping up to date on two YouTube series, uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved, which uh, is, is fantastic. They're doing a uh, Supernatural season again. It's going to be their last uh, Supernatural season, which makes me sad. Or actually, their last season overall of Supernatural or True Crime, which makes me sad. I'll miss the show. I love the hosts. Uh, but I'm glad to see them moving on to, to doing new things. And the season they're producing right now, I think, is pretty great. Um, the two hosts of that, Ryan and Shane, also do another YouTube series uh, that is the other one that I've been watching. That is Are You Scared? Uh, basically, the two of them just get together and read each other creepypasta and riff on it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, that's pretty fun. I like creepypasta. Um, most of it's not super skill skillfully written, so I don't find it actually scary. So kind of getting the comedic, you know, host's take on it. I like that. I think it's a really fun format. Um, it's it's great, like, before bed, easy watching. So uh, if you want something, like, kind of spooky but not really, Are You Scared is great. Um, and that's all the YouTube stuff that I've been watching. I've also been watching a couple TV series. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm doing kind of a werewolf-themed October. Um, so the first TV series I'm going to call out is Teen Wolf. 
Uh, it's an MTV teen TV series from either the early 2010s or the late 2000s. And uh, it's actually a lot better than I expected it to be going in. Like, it's by no means, like, a good and accomplished show, but it's way more proficient uh, than I thought it would be. Um, it scratches, you know, a similar itch to some of these kind of, like, teen horror adjacent shows uh you know i'm thinking like uh, buffy angel maybe maybe supernatural kind of like easy like easy to put on kind of horror adjacent i've been actually really glad to have it uh, by my side this october um besides that on tv i've also been keeping up with the 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 latest episodes of what we do in the shadows um they're on the third season now they're approaching the end and man, every episode this season and every other season, they've hit out of the park. Uh, this series, I would give hands down a 10 out of 10. All of the characters are classic. Uh, if you're not watching what we do in the shadows, horror fan or not, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, I think the only people <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this to are people uncomfortable with their sexuality or uncomfortable with scatological humor. Um, which I guess are actually probably <laughs> fairly large groups. So maybe I wouldn't recommend it to a lot of people. I don't know. Um, and besides that, one other TV series I've been watching is uh, Blacklist. Now, this isn't horror. This isn't uh, Halloween-themed. Uh, this is Robert California from The Office playing a uh, mastermind criminal. Um, I think it's uh, an, an NBC or a CBS show, so it's like, you know, kind of primetime viewing. I remember it coming out when I was in high school and like watching a couple episodes with my parents. More than a couple episodes. I actually watched a few seasons with my parents. Um, but uh, it's one of those shows where uh, it's also not a good show. I, I don't know. I like watching shows I don't <laughs> think are good. It's not a good show. It's got great production value. There are a lot of people doing their jobs well enough to make you want to keep watching. Uh, but it's also a show about, like, U.S. law enforcement committing war crimes and kind of glorifying it. Um, <laughs> like, there's, like, definitely, like, torturing and stuff where you're supposed to be like, yeah, get the answers. And so you watch it and you're like, what the hell? And then on top of all that, you know, the, the, the kind of mainstay for the series is Robert California from The Office. So it's pretty entertaining watching, even though I think, like, kind of what it depicts is kind of despicable and it's not, like, that well written. Um, but I intend to continue binging it because uh, it's on Netflix and it's easy to throw on and ignore. Um, so anyway, <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing, I, I'd recommend Blacklist. Um, besides that, I have uh, just one movie I want to call... Actually, no, two movies I want to call out this week. Uh, first of all, I have a werewolf movie that I watched. It's called Where. It's, a, I think, a French-U.S. joint production, and it's kind of a a sort of found footage werewolf movie. It's not great. I'm not going to linger on it too long. Um, it, it was it was solid watching for a night. It's only like an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, but there, there are better werewolf movies to watch for first. If you've like run through your list of werewolf movies, maybe give it a shot. But otherwise, uh, you can miss it. And I say that as a big fan of found footage horror. Um, besides that, I watched uh, the 1980-something classic... Uh, heavy metal um, which is a, oh, uh, nice. an anthology movie it's all animated um, and you know at the time it was really poorly received it's become kind of a cult classic I've seen it before and liked it um, and I think it's still pretty entertaining there's a lot of stuff in it that uh, does not hold up well to a modern viewing uh, the animation's pretty rough uh, it's really blatantly sexist and kind of mildly pornographic 
Um, I had I, kind of forgotten that aspect and invited a close friend over to watch it, and I, uh, I might need to buy him a gift or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, if you can get past that, it's like kind of a fun fantasy romp. I love anthology movies. Um, so if you're really not squeamish, because it's violent and sexist and pornographic, um, if, you, if, the, if you don't mind those sorts of things, give Heavy Metal a shot. Um, don't watch the <laughs> sequel, and I'm going to leave it there. That's what I've been watching this week. Hey, so we we're both pretty big fans, I'd say, of Love, Death, and Robots, which I have been researching for a piece I'm writing. Um, so I didn't know that Heavy Metal was a huge inspiration for that show. Um, but I guess if, if you comfortably watch Love, Death, and Robots, which I think is a show that's like very adult, right? Like it has all the things you just talked about, like a lot of. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's as sexist. It's a little more modern than that, but very, very graphic, a lot of nudity and, and some pretty like adult themes. If you could sit through Love, Death, and Robots, do you think you're the audience for heavy metal, or do you think it, it takes a little bit more, uh, let's say, brass, no pun intended? Yeah, it definitely takes a bit more than Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, you're, okay. you're probably... I, I'm not saying that if you liked Love, Death, and Robots, you won't like Heavy Metal. Like, I think there's a solid overlap there. But Heavy Metal, yep. uh, you know, Love, Death, and Robots, I think it's good. I don't necessarily think I would call it that tasteful, but I don't care. I love kind of tasteless things. Uh, heavy Metal is completely tasteless. Just there okay. is, you know, it, it, it makes South Park look kind of classy. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So okay. So very very out there compared to the to Love Death and Robots. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Good to know. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been watching. It's it, you know been a pretty fun week in my opinion. I've enjoyed everything yeah. on screen. Um, yeah. So with that, uh, let's get on to our main review, uh, 2021's The Last Duel. So uh, for those of you that are new to the show, our review format is in two parts. We open with a spoiler-free part where we talk about production values, performances, things we can discuss without spoiling the plot of the movie, and then we'll give you a warning before we move into the spoiler-full review where we spoil the movie, but also kind of discuss how we feel about specific plot movements and things like that. Um, so. It's totally okay to keep watching the review now if you haven't seen The Last Duel, uh, but we'll tell you when to stop if that's the case. Otherwise, listen on and enjoy. So, starting in on the spoiler-free uh, section of the, of the review, I'm going to lead us in with the IMDb blurb, just in case you're watching this and you have no idea what The Last Duel is. So IMDb says this, King Charles VI declares the knight Jean de Carouge, or du Carouge, sorry if I can't pronounce that right, <laughs> settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. Um, so from that you probably got it's a uh, historical drama. It's based on a true episode from history that I was actually familiar with before seeing the movie. Um, if you want to see the movie and have no idea how it ends, I would recommend not reading up on the, uh, on the characters named in, uh, in, in that blurb. Um, but uh, besides that, it's directed by Ridley Scott. Of you know, he, He's famous for you know, too many movies to name. Uh, my favorite of the bunch is Alien, so I'll throw it out there. It's starring a few other big names. It's got uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer. Um, so just really great names involved with this. And uh, I'm just going to lead into the re review by saying I think that the talent on board and the production values, hard to beat for this movie. They, uh, they, they really got everything on deck they, they could have. Keegan, do you have any thoughts? 
Yeah, um, I absolutely echo what you said. I think like Ridley Scott is a living legend. Um, and similar to you, he's made some of my favorite movies of all time. He actually has made my favorite movie of all time, which is the original Blade Runner. Um, an alien, obviously phenomenal. Um, and he also is someone that's proven himself to like be very capable of making good period pieces, right? Like he made Kingdom of Heaven, he made Gladiator. Really, really fun. I won't call them fantasy, but historical drama is very similar to this. Um, the talent's amazing, obviously. Like you said, we have a, a good mix of like established people of your Boston boys and your Matt Damon and your Afflecks, and you have relative newcomers in Jodie Comer and, and Adam Driver. But man, uh, I think most of all, I'm just happy to see Ridley Scott still making decent movies, right? Uh, the fact that he's, what, 79 years old and we're still getting quality stuff. Um, as to this movie specifically, it is not top tier Scott for me. Um, I think it's good, but I don't know if I'm going to revisit it anytime soon. And to make a comparison to Kingdom of Heaven and Gladiator, um, I think those movies uh, are, are historical dramas, but I think they're stuff that dwell a lot more in uh, kind of the fantastical realism of it, right? We have like dream sequences or like large scale battles, whereas this is very much like a focused kind of quiet uh, melodrama about like one incident and the stuff that ensues around it. Sure, there's there's some battles and there's some fight sequences, but we they're not the focal point of this movie. So I, I liked it a fair amount. I was also very excited for it. Um, but I, like, like, I don't know if I'm going to be watching this anytime soon again. Um, the other thing is just that I, I'm pretty bummed that this kind of bombed at the box office. So I think you've seen um, some of the numbers is that it cost $100 million to make. It's only made $23.1 million so far, which is, you know, it's an absolute loss for the production studio. And it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat disheartening that we could have all of these like incredibly masterful figure weights of, of this industry. You know, pulling top talent, you still can't really make a, a movie that will pull people together. Um, and I, I don't know if it's the subject material, the fact that it wasn't on streaming, uh, but it is a little disheartening to see that it, it's not performing well. So uh, I, I like it. I think people should go and see it and support it with, with their money, right? Um, but I, I didn't love it. Fair enough. And yeah, I, I do agree. It's, it is kind of disappointing to see a movie flop that hard. Um, no two ways around it. Uh, that yeah. said... Um, walking into this movie, I was super excited. If you're a longtime listener, you know I'm into the historical shit. Um, I talk about it uh, sometimes. Taylor, uh, when he's with us, talks about it. Um, I'm really into that sort of movie. Love Gladiator. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was really excited for this movie based purely on kind of the setting, the director. I mean, I guess based on a lot of things. Um, so I went in, you know, kind of ready to give it my, my 10 out of 10 stamp and leave. And uh, I think that it did a lot great, but I'm kind of surprised to be on board with Keegan when I say I liked it, I didn't love it. And I don't think this is going to be a Ridley Scott movie uh, that I return to a lot. Um, and I think there's, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one reason is that uh, I think the subject matter is just honestly kind of something that I'm a bit uncomfortable with, and uh, it yeah. didn't necessarily like challenge me on the reasons I was uncomfortable with it it just made me confront it um, so you know it just wasn't an entirely pleasant viewing experience um, but also it, it wasn't that exciting for me and we'll get into that more uh, I think during spoilers <laughs> I think it's it's a valid choice uh, to make this movie as, as relatively unexciting as it is um, but from the trailers and stuff like that I thought it would have a little bit more of a an actiony aspect to it like like a gladiator or something and this one was 
you know, to its core, a character piece. Um, yeah. It was really an examination, or kind of maybe multiple character pieces. It was an examination of three characters in, in pretty excruciating detail. And uh, I think there's totally room for movies like that, but uh, it just wasn't exactly what I thought I was getting into, and I don't think I ended up uh, enjoying it as much as I, I had hoped. So, like Keegan, liked it, didn't love it. Um, another audience might like it more. I don't think that uh, it's necessarily a problem with the movie that made me so relatively lukewarm. I think it's just personal yeah. taste. Yeah. Um, yeah. The production, phenomenal. A uh, couple things yeah. I do want to call out uh, that I think we can do without spoiling it. Uh, this film follows a, an unconventional structure. Um, I won't go into too much detail because uh, it is somewhat intertwined with, intertwined with the plot. But the structure of this film is in, I believe, three parts, maybe three parts in an epilogue, uh, depending on how well I'm remembering. But uh, the three parts of the movie run over roughly the same chronological time period three times over. They're just looking at uh, the same events through different points of view. And uh, some of those events are filmed twice, just slightly different, um, depending on who's telling their point of view. Um, and that's all I'll say about the format of the movie. But I thought it was pretty novel. I hadn't seen a lot like that before. Um, and when it kind of that that format first got introduced in the movie, I was a little bit worried that I'd get really bored of the things they were showing me because I knew it was two and a half hours long. Um, but I think that that was actually one of the parts that I liked about the movie, kind of the chance to re-examine some things. Did you have any thoughts about that, Keegan? Yeah, no, I think it's it's a fun structure. Um, I think <laughs> it's it's almost to a detriment in, in some ways too, as well. Though, like at the beginning, we start literally the movie with the last duel, and I I'd heard some other critics say like they thought they walked into the wrong screening because literally the first thing you see is is this fight sequence that is is heavily featured in in the marketing for the movie. Um, so I think that's that's fun and it. It does set it up in an interesting way, but it almost does get your excitement up that you think this is going to be quite action-packed, and you have this duel, and then you slow things down to a halt, and you're going to do the character drama. So I don't know if that worked for me or not. I actually don't know if I'm, I'm calling that a, a benefit or not. But um, yeah, I think the idea that you're going to reintroduce the same sequence of events and, and have it from different characters' point of views is really interesting. Um, but like Hank said earlier... Um, kind of the, the focal piece of this movie is something that is very uncomfortable to watch. And so, you know, being forced to watch it two or three times, you know, whether it be from different angles, um, is, is still pretty difficult. And I think I've, I don't want to say objected, but there's been other movies that I've watched on this show that I've, I've not loved those kinds of story beats. Um, and I think that really holds true here, that there's definitely some uncomfortable things that you're forced to watch multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's very much... Well, I guess I don't know, because this, this book or this movie, The Last Duel, is based on a book that is kind of a historical retelling of the event. So I don't know if the book, which is kind of similar in this, like a modern retelling of it, follows that structure or if that was a choice made by like Scott and team. But um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And I think like uh, I don't know if a perfectly linear telling of it from one perspective would have been as interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I actually don't know if the book is told that way either. I'm, I'm familiar with the historical episode, but I haven't read the book. Um, okay. So if someone does know, feel free to email us. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that said, one other thing I wanted to talk about with this movie, kind of my last spoiler-free thing, is the accents. Um, so I think this mm. is a point of contention in any historical piece. Um, Oftentimes they're taking place in uh, pl or they're taking place in 
locations that are not America or even that, that predate uh, the United States of America. Um, this movie is, is, is one of those movies. Um, and so that means they have to decide how to have the characters talk. Are they going to do the Mel Gibson thing and have them like speak like a reconstructed archaic language? Are they going to give them all British accents? Are they going to give them all American accents? Uh, what are they going to do? And this movie picked something that I thought was kind of an interesting choice, which is that uh, everyone just kind of talked with their own accent. All, all the actors kind of used their own accent. There were American accents, there were French accents, there were English accents. Um, and uh, at first, when I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, this is, this is a bit weird. Um, but by the end of the movie, I think I kind of had to commend them for it, because I can get really pulled out of something by a bad accent. Um, but I think all of the character or all the actors did really good jobs as their characters. Um, so I think that kind of getting a consistent accent for the characters who are from kind of like the same cultural group uh, would have actually probably been a detriment to this movie because I don't think all of the actors could have pulled off a good accent. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that when you were watching Keegan? Yeah, for sure. So like when we went, uh, when we reviewed Free Guy a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but Jodie Comer jumps back and forth between her British accent, which is her real voice, and an American accent. Um, and I think she does great at it. And I, like, I'm personally of the belief that I think British people play better Americans than Americans do British accents. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I, I wanted a bunch of guys that usually speak with a Boston accent to try their best uh, British or French, French accent. I don't know if that would have panned out the best. So I actually like this choice of, of doing it. It's, it almost reminds me of like, uh, I know it's, it's, it's a little different, but like colorblind casting. So like mm -hmm. with Hamilton, how there's like, oh, you know, we're going to have these historically white people played by, you know, black or Asian people. And it's when you watch it in the play, it's pretty seamless. And you kind of forget about it after five minutes of seeing it on screen. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's while it is drawing at first because these people are so big and you know them for speaking one particular way it kind of fades away after the first five ten minutes um, it becomes pretty seamless so yeah it was it was an interesting choice and something that i like i didn't even really pay attention to or remember until you actually brought up now fair enough i think that uh the, the fact that it wasn't obtrusive speaks to the fact that it was a good choice so good call yeah. uh scott and team um <laughs> now then Keegan, is there anything else you wanted to say while we're in the spoiler-free section? Because I think I'm ready to start talking some plot beats. I think this is a fairly plot-heavy movie. Um, yeah, I think this movie is majority plot, um, and I don't really have much else to add, so I think uh, spoilers is a good decision. All right. So we're going to conclude the spoiler-free section um, by saying both hosts like this movie, didn't love it. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet and uh, you think that based on that like not love you would still like to check it out i'd recommend pausing the podcast at this point uh, because we're about to go on and spoil the whole damn thing it's a fairly plot heavy movie uh, it might be it might be ruined for you to some extent um that said if you have seen it or if you don't think you're going to see it and you want to hear what we think of the individual plot beats stick around and we'll spoil it for you and we'll finish up our review so with that said, we are in the spoiler zone. Uh, me and Keegan are going to talk spoilers now. So I have a couple things I want to talk through. Uh, I imagine, Keegan, you, you might as well. But I'm going to start with one of mine because I'm leading this episode. That sound fair? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm just going to get this out of the way right up front. Um, 
the, 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 the movie is centered around one event. Um, that event is, is a rape taking place. It's, it's, it's pretty dark subject matter. These, you know, I think that we reviewed a number of movies in the past where most, if not all, of the co-hosts kind of expressed uh, some amount of discomfort seeing rapes uh, depicted on, on screen. Um, I think that there are arguments uh, for depicting them as well as uh, against depicting them. Um, I, I don't think that this is a movie where it was inappropriate to depict something because it is a historical event, and I think it is a uh, in, 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 an interesting event to make a movie about. And you really couldn't make a movie without depicting the the event in question. Um, that said, as Keegan mentioned before, uh, and as I, I kind of alluded to, because the movie's three act structure involves going over the uh, the main events multiple times. Uh, they 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 show you the the rape scene in question multiple times. I, you see it at least two times, um, and I, the the two times are, are different shots of the same scene. Like they reshot the scene for both yep. of them, and it's a pretty long rape scene. It's like multiple minutes. Uh, and uh, anyway, that for me made this movie a little bit harder to get through because I'm a little bit uncomfortable with them at the best of, at the best of times. Um, and this was the longest of times, uh, I think, since, like, I spit on your grave, at least as far as movies I've seen. Um, Keegan, what, did you have any thoughts there? Yeah, it's it's not easy. And I, I actually think we see it three times. So the initial time we see it, I think from uh, Matt Damon's perspective, where he's, he's I think, recounting it to the court, maybe. I, I'm not sure. But we see it where it's, it's a fairly graphic rape sequence. Second time we see it uh, from... Adam Driver's perspective, where it's almost painted as like a consensual sequence where, you know, she objects lightly, but it's, it's mostly consensual. And the third time we see it as a violent, aggressive rape scene where it's it's the most extended and it's, it's the most gratuitous as well. So it doesn't get any easier. And I think the fact that the movie saves the most aggressive one for last is is pretty tough to watch. Uh, but in a way, I, I think that in the past I've called depictions of rape to be maybe exploitative or just really unenjoyable to watch or unnecessary. But I actually think that while physically it's hard to watch these sequences, they kind of make for like a more modern and progressive story because so much of this movie is about how, you know, Jodie Comer's character, Marguerite, doesn't have autonomy in the court, right? She like her perspective doesn't really matter much. It's more about these two knights that have a lot of power, both in the court or in the military rankings or, you know, just how women don't have a lot of autonomy over themselves um, and about how like their their stories aren't really believed. And I think like the climate that we're in right now where we're examining these stories is a really interesting time to reapproach the story. So. You know, it's one of these things where I'm happy the story exists to, like, kind of give a voice to a female character, but also to do that, right, to revisit this historical event, you have to, to come to terms and, and watch some pretty uncomfortable things. And I think uh, while I don't love watching it, I don't think it would have been the same if you just had, like, heard of this, right? Or if it was just mm -hmm. something that was talked about in a court sequence as opposed to, like, something that is, is shown to you so graphically. Um, so I, I think this is one of the depictions where I, I think it's warranted and I think it's really powerful, if not kind of disgusting and disturbing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I said, I, I don't like watching this sort of thing, but I struggled with it even more yeah. because in this case, it was absolutely integral to the film. Um, the, I, I think the yeah. movie uh, would have probably at best been uh, kind of gross uh, without it. 
um, just because it would it, it, it wouldn't really give uh, Marguerite a voice in the story uh, in a yeah. weird way. So by having that scene where you know her her autonomy is violated, um, kind of counterintuitively, I feel like it gives her a voice, but it does make it a really hard watch. Um, yeah. And so it's weird because I, uh, I, I don't bring this up because I wouldn't recommend the movie based on the, that scene's inclusion. I think if you can handle that sort of thing, uh, it's definitely worth watching. But I know there are a lot of audiences that I cannot recommend this movie to because it would be a traumatic watch for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I did think you watch this? I, I watched this alone. Yeah. Did you also watch this alone? Like, I did not I did. watch this with my partner, and I'm glad. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's that's a fair call on both of our parts because it, it's not a movie I could recommend to our partners. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you know, that's that's obviously just one aspect of the movie. Um, you know, it's 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 it's, it's core to the plot, uh, but it, you know, it's just several minutes of the plot time. The rest of the movie uh, covers a number of things from historical battles to court intrigues. Um, and uh, I had a couple kind of favorite parts that I wanted to call out. Um, the first one is Ben Affleck uh, playing the, the, the kind of powerful Duke character and having just these wild sex parties in his castle. Um, <laughs> just what a, a, a different way to depict medieval life than we're used to. I feel like we got a little bit of that in Game of Thrones, which is obviously a, a fantasy piece of work, uh, but this is a historical drama. And, uh, you know, we have good reason to believe from a historical context that there were, um, you know, quote-unquote, unchristian sexual acts going on in, in these noble courts. Um, but I feel like we never see it depicted. We're always seeing very, very austere depictions of court life. Um, so, oddly, in contrast uh, to the, 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 the rape scene, the, the actual, you know, consensual sex scenes, I was like, yeah, you know, like, they're, they're kind of goofy to watch in a way. They're not, like, they're, like, they're kind of gross, but they're, you know, gross for different reasons. Um, but yeah. I, I thought that they, uh, they, they did kind of help to elevate the movie as well in a weird way, just by changing up the depiction of medieval, uh, medieval life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought they were a lot of fun. And I mean, Ben Affleck's character is a lot of fun. I, I had read that. I don't remember if it was, you gotta forgive me. I, I'm really struggling with these French names. I don't remember if he was meant to play Adam Driver's character or Matt Damon's character, but originally he was meant to be one of the the two leads and uh, stepped down for scheduling uh, reasons. But I actually think, you know, silver lining, man. He is great as the Count. He is he's a lot of fun. Um, and that leads me to another point, which I'm sure you probably have written down, but. Uh, the haircuts, man. The hair is absolutely wild in this movie. And also, from what I've been reading, not necessarily out of character. Like, you know, people have been dyeing their hair or bleaching their hair since long before this movie was made, or, you know, when this movie is set. And that kind of weird, goofy Matt Damon thing with the cut bangs has all, was also popular in France at the time, too. So it's like, can you can you imagine a world where, like, a, a bleached Ben Affleck was a count? Because that's, that's what it would look like. <laughs> Yeah, the the hairstyles. This movie had strong mullet game, um, yeah. a few tonsured <laughs> characters, some big hair for the ladies of the court. It had it all from like a you know a, a, a medieval French hairstyle perspective, and I was there for it. I loved seeing the different <laughs> hairs. Um, I do think that Ben Affleck's bottle blonde uh, really stands out from the crowd. I uh, at first I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, he looks like a giant little boy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, hysterical. 
I also want to throw out here, uh, the costuming was pretty immaculate. Um, they had a lot of really cool costumes for the characters uh, from, you know, court fine dress to, uh, to, to armor that they wore at the duel. And honestly, I'm not that familiar with uh, France and the, at the time period this movie is depicting. I can't tell you if it's uh, period accurate costuming, but I didn't care, man. Uh, it, you know, yeah. it didn't pull me out of the movie at all. It wasn't obviously period inaccurate. And I think the costuming work was fantastic. Um, one of those things. The entire really production design. Everything with the production design was just so on point for this movie. Like, you know, you, you hear about budgeting, right? And like $100 million does not seem like a ton in today's, you know, realm. Like when you Disney consistently spends 150 to 200 for each movie they make, be it, you know, a Star Wars or, or a Marvel movie. And when you can make something that looks this good and this authentic and, and bring in big names for $100 million, it's it begs to, I mean, it's a whole different tangent. But, you know, budgeting wise, this movie just the money shows, man. Yeah, yeah, no, the money does show. Um, uh, but, you know, that's really non-spoiler stuff. I'm going to steer us back yeah, to uh, some sorry more... About uh, that. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Keith. No, just kidding. Just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> I, I think it deserved to be called out, and we didn't get to it originally. Um, but uh, a couple other things I wanted to call out. Um, did you feel like... Uh, with the way the story was told, the ending was satisfying to you. Um, obviously, they can't change the ending because it's a historical event. But in the end, um, Matt Damon's character, Jodie Comer's character's husband, uh, he wins the last duel. He kills Adam Driver's character, um, which I think some would argue is some form of justice. Um, but the movie really kind of depicts it as just kind of like a... Huh, you know, like because it's really not what... Yeah what the marguerite wanted you know she she didn't want all eyes on this sort of thing she didn't want uh, her word not really mean that much so i think the ending to me was really interesting you know because we, we kind of get the result that matt damon's been working for the whole movie and from like a character perspective i think for both him and 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 uh and jody comer's character it's not really fulfilling um i think that's like kind of a cool choice i also think that it makes the end of the movie the movie kind of a, a sigh, you know? And I don't normally love movies that go out with a sigh. Did you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, as far as the actual fight goes, the idea that Matt Damon can beat Adam Driver in a fight, first of all, we're pure fantastical realism at this point, right? Adam Driver <laughs> is just an absolute, like, tree of a man, and Matt Damon's probably, like, my size, which is to say pretty small um but that aside i i think like the fight itself ends pretty graphically right like with with adam driver's dead body being tied to a horse and just pulled off the battlefield which is it's pretty graphic um but like you said other than that it, it feels pretty anticlimactic and it feels like uh there's there's definitely some some mastery on screen to show that this is like this is not something that we should be like standing up and cheering it's it's just kind of empty um which i thought was really interesting i think the idea that you know, Matt Damon wins, but then he goes on to die, what, like five years later in the Crusades, while Jodie Comer's character just kind of lives out the rest of her life in solitude for another 30 years watching the estate. It's uh, it's very much this idea that the justice that Matt Damon was seeking doesn't really bring about any kind of like happy conclusion to their story in any way, right? Like it doesn't, regardless of, of who's right and who's wrong in the story of, you know, how graphic the rape actually was or, like, how much it was 
whose side of the story is correct. Uh, something pretty awful happened to Marguerite's character, and we'll never really know to what degree. But her life was scarred there, and having the, the her attacker killed doesn't really fix that, right? It doesn't erase that that happened. And so it's all just very empty and melancholy in the end. And I think like that, that last sequence really, really uh, kind of ties a bow on it to feel not great. But I think... You know, given that this is based on a true story, there's not much else that you can do. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you credits start to roll after you read the final text, and you're like, I guess I'll go walk to my car now. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that was exactly the feeling I had. Like, credits rolled, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. Bye, theater. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, but I think that was... That was kind of the whole movie for me is the thing like it, yeah. the thing is there's no other way to tell the story because i think the way you know that, that this ended the way that, that felt is very true to you know what the moral of this story is that said yeah. for a movie it's very unfulfilling you know like you kind of walk out feeling empty you know you walk in all excited and walk out you know just kind of like empty and and brokenhearted um and uh, while I think that thematically that's very appropriate, it does make it a little bit hard for me to want to recommend this movie to new viewers because I'm not going to be able to be like, yeah, you're going to enjoy this or like, yeah, the, the ending's going to shock you or anything like that. I'm going to be like, yeah, you're going to watch this movie and you're going to feel really bad and then it's going to end. <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Those are my main plot points that I wanted to get to. Um, I know it's just a couple, but I, I think that they're, they really kind of capture the tone of the film for me. Keegan, did you have anything you wanted to bring in? No, I kind of, uh, I think we, we covered most of it. Like the big thing to me is just how uh, this movie, if anything, feels like it, it gives voice to someone, you know, what, like four or 500 years, a little too late. Um, and like we talked about earlier, right, it's it's not fun to watch these things happen. But, you know, Marguerite getting some form of justice and having her side of the story potentially heard is uh, is justice in its own right. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm just happy to see it. There's kind of this this overarching theme of Matt Damon's character and that like he wants to have this fight not only for her honor, but his honor. And it's very much this like he takes her tragedy and makes it a personal thing about himself. Right. Cause in a way I feel like he sees her as his property. And so he wants to defend his property in a way that does an injustice to his wife's feelings. Right. Uh, so I, I think like personally, I, I found that that was very uh, impactful and I'm, I'm happy to see that like we're, we're retelling the story with modern eyes. So it's not, a satisfying ending when you're watching credits roll but overall like i'm it's a movie i'm very happy that exists and i think like narratively we cover most of it mm-hmm. yeah you know i i second that i don't think it's super satisfying to watch i think that it kind of provides the justice that the, the ending doesn't just by the virtue of its existing um but it's almost one yeah. of those things where i'm like yeah this is really great for educational value um rather than thinking it's really great for entertainment value um, that said, yeah. let's move into our actual ratings um, and talk about what we have coming up. That sound good to you? Absolutely. Fantastic. So, Keegan, start us off with your ratings. I've been I've been talking here. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. So, uh, again, I was very excited about this being a Ridley Scott movie. I know we're getting real close to the end of the year. It's time for Oscar bait season. So I was like, it's going to be good. I love Gladiator. I love the director's cut of 
uh, Kingdom of Heaven. I know this guy can do really, really good period pieces set around this time. So I had my fingers crossed, and it's my boy, Ridley Scott. Um, and ultimately, I saw a movie that was like not something I'm going to revisit all the time, but that I'm happy I watched and I think uh, definitely has its place. It, it's definitely not like low-tier Ridley Scott by any means, and if this were any other director, this might be one of the best things they've ever made, but see, knowing what this man is capable of, uh, I think this is pretty mid-tier for, for Ridley Scott. That's not to say this isn't worth watching. Um, I think people that have strong stomachs and want to revisit the, the historical events, this is probably a much better way to consume it than revisiting the book, which is probably much longer. I guess I can't speak to that. I haven't read it. But if you want a condensed version of the events, I think this is a, an interesting way to experience it. Uh, but overall, it's not something I'm going to revisit too, too frequently. So uh, to give a final rating on it, I would give it 50 out of 60 crazy bleached haircuts. <laughs> All right. So, you know, it clearly sounds like you think it's it's a fairly important movie uh, in terms of the story you, you seem to like it but you, you know like me don't don't necessarily love it um yeah and i think i think i'm, I'm about to echo a lot of the things you just said so i'm just going to skip it and get right to my numerical rating because i think it's well made <laughs> i was excited to see it i think it's important i didn't really love it um so with that said i think i would give it uh like six out of nine daggers to the back of the throat <laughs> to the back of the throat brutal yeah so um with that said that's our review of the last duel by ridley scott if you want to see it i think it might still be in theaters uh somewhere otherwise you're gonna have to wait yep. till it's streaming um you know if you're a fan of ridley scott maybe check it out uh if this review totally turned you off i don't know if it's gonna i don't i don't know if the movie's gonna change your opinion so, uh, you know, make your own decisions, audience. Um, that said, I'm excited to announce what we have coming up for you next week. Actually, I think this episode is going to be releasing the same week due to some scheduling conflicts. But anyway, our next review that's coming out for you is uh, 2021's Dune. No, it is not the David Lynch Dune. It's not the unproduced Jodorowsky Dune. It is the uh, Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Villeneuve? The Dennis Dune. Um, anyway, <laughs> it, uh, it's a movie I've been waiting for for some time. Uh, it's got pretty good production value. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Dune, um, it's a very classic story. It's a, it's a book written in the 1950s, science fiction. It provided a huge deal of inspiration for Star Wars and some other uh, kind of seminal science fiction works. Um, so you should probably go see Dune or watch it on HBO Max, and then after that, you should probably come listen to our review. Or before it, you know, if, you, if you're hearing me say this and you want to hear the spoiler-free section, check out our review first. Feel free, but also check out Dune. <laughs> um, with that, I'll see you next week. Hank out.